LifePoint, every year around this time, we just kind of recast the vision about what LifePoint is all about. I, I really appreciate Dane's message last week where he, he, in talking about the church, he didn't, he said this, that, that it's not a matter of if you should be committed to the church, but rather where. And in order to know the where, you need to know the what of that church. And every year around this time, I get up and I kind of recast the vision of life point. And it's, the vision is kind of summarized in a number of statements and a symbol, okay? And I think they're up here on your screen. Uh, the purpose statement is simply this, that we believe a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will grow a great church and great Christians. Our mission as a church is to do this. We join people. We don't push them. We don't drag them. We join people. <clears throat> seeking purpose and offer life through Jesus Christ. Our strategy of fulfilling our mission and the purposes of God is symbolized in this track, okay? We like to bring people in and celebrate, okay? Celebrate the, 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 the love of God that he has shown to us and that we wanna to express to him. And then we move from celebration into commitment where we are committed, where we commit our lives to Christ and then we commit ourselves to the church, the body of Christ. From there we go into connecting, where we connect with other people in small groups, where we grow and we are cared for. From there, if we get injured as we're running this race, the Christian life, is that we have a care ministry headed up by John Clements, okay? And it's for really kind of critical type care that goes on here, but the objective is to get healthy and to get back on the track running it to become a fully functioning follower of Christ, which means that after you kind of come out of there, if you have to go there, is that you get into the serving where you discover your gifts, your talents, your abilities, to serve in the church and outside the church. From there, you go into sharing and you learn about sharing your story. All of us have a story about God's love for us and we learn how to share that story with other people in the world. And so we go out in the world and we share it and we bring them back in and we just do it over and over and over again. This is the what. Now our vision that we are currently in is what I call the 2020 vision. And we started out in 2017, let's throw that slide up there. We started out in 2017, is it up there? We started out in 2007, there it is, okay. I don't know about you, but I teach so much. George, uh, do you remember what you taught a, a few months ago? Are you kidding me? I'm just focused on this Sunday, right? I, so I put that up there just as a review for us. But in 2017, we started what I call the 2020 vision. And 2017 was one, we looked at one of the virtues, the theological virtues that are at the top three, and that was love. And we looked at loving God, loving others, and loving our community. Loving God through connecting with him through prayer. And then loving others by taking a look at 1 Corinthians 13. And then loving others was a topical study of how to live beyond our walls. And the big focus there was our outrun homelessness. We just cut a check and gave it to our, we just cut a check for $70,000 and gave it to our seven partners, okay? 
And so that's a go God on your all's part, okay? Because we're about serving not just ourselves within the walls, but outside the walls, right? Living our lives for others that are least amongst us. And for us, we've defined that as the homeless. But that was 2017. We are getting ready now to enter into 2018, which is the year of hope. And we're going to tackle this in three big ways. We're going to take a look at personal renewal, relational renewal, and missional renewal. Personal renewal starts February 11th. Now, Dane just talked with you and mentioned to you to do the spiritual health assessment. Do it. Because it is prep for what I'm going to be giving you starting February 11th. If you don't do that, you're not gonna get as much out of 2000 or uh, in February 11th. Does that make sense? Do the health assessment. It takes less than 10 minutes, okay? But we're gonna take a look at personal renewal. And we're gonna take a look at three key verses. Luke 18:1, where Jesus said, hey, you ought to pray and not give up hope. We're gonna take a look at the, the troubles, okay? In, in, in Hosea 2:18, that, that God says, hey, though you're going through a valley of trouble, you can have hope. And then we're gonna take a look at the names of God, because in Psalms 52 it says, we hope in your name. And that's all gonna be about personal hope. And then we're gonna take a look at relational hope in, in the way of our marriages, in the way of our, our families. And then we're gonna have a missional renewal. I, I got a call from um, um, Saddleback Church about two days before uh, Christmas. And they wanted to know if we would participate in discipling the whole continent of Africa, okay? Rick Warren went to Rwanda back in 2006 and he turned that nation upside down. And as a result, all these other countries in Africa have wanted him to come and do the same thing. But he's only one man in one church. So I got a call from him and says, George, would you wanna participate in this? And I says, you bet we will. So Dennis and I are gonna be flying out, Lord willing, the creek don't rise, on a Tuesday morning, and we're flying out to California for two days to learn how to disciple a whole country at one time. And so I'm really excited about that, and for us, because we're gonna be having to take teams and make a commitment of doing that over, I don't know, three to five years, something like that. But that is 2018. In 2019, it is gonna be the year of faith where we're gonna take a look at knowing the faith of our fathers, building the faith of our families, and then expressing the faith in our future. That gets us to 2020. That's where I call it the 2020 vision. Now, nothing ever happens in your life, in my life, in our church's life, anywhere, without commitment. In 1776, there were a bunch of colonists that got together and put their names on a radical document called the Declaration of Independence. And they did so knowing that it might cost them their lives. In fact, the last sentence in that document was this. And for the support of the Declaration and with a firm reliance and the protection of the divine providence, that is God, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our honor. Folks, that's what I call commitment. They pledge their lives, their fortune, and their honor. And as a result of that commitment, I don't know, 250 plus years ago, the United States is the most powerful nation in the world, bar none. 
1943, there was a bunch of young, in fact, there were 100,000 young Germans wearing brown shirts who filed into the largest Olympic stadium at that time in the world and made a symbol with their bodies expressing, Hitler, we are yours. They overtook a continent. It took World War II to defeat Nazism. Back in 1965, there was a black guy with about a thousand some people that walked across the bridge. His name was Martin Luther King Jr., one of my heroes. He's on my desk. Gave his life for civil rights. It happened because of commitment. 60 years ago, there were a bunch of students that came together and said, you know what, we are going to live and die by this book. That movement that overtook the largest nation in the world, China, is commonly referred to as the Cultural Revolution. Today, 1.4 billion people are dominated by communism. Why? Because of commitment. You see, history teaches us over and over and over again that if you want to change yourself, if you want to change the world around you, it starts with commitment. And I make no apologies. I think we need to change, don't we? I know I need to change. I want 2018 to be a better year. (laughs) At least in hope, God, I want to know what hope is all about and where I get it, okay? Okay. I want to change, and my guess is you want to change. And I think we would all say that we would like to see our world change. In a place and time where we have sexual scandals and racism and drug epidemics and a government that's paralyzed, folks, I believe we need a cultural revolution. And 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 I don't believe that the answer is political or educational, but I do believe it is spiritual because it takes place in the heart, one life at a time. Truly, the heart of the problem is the problem with the heart, and it starts with commitment, one life at a time. You see, nothing happens without commitment. Wouldn't you agree with that? Nothing happens. Commitment is what gets the ball rolling. Commitment is what turns dreams into reality. Folks, there's a lot of great dreams out there. But it doesn't become real until you wake up from that dream and you go to work. That is what is called commitment. And your commitments and my commitments, they define our life. Truly, you and I are the sum total of our commitments You tell me what you are committed to, and I will tell you the direction that you're going. You tell me what you're committed to, and I can tell you where you're going to end up in life. You see, your commitments define your life. And what I have discovered in 40 years of ministry is that weak people are controlled by circumstances. That's why I lay out the vision. I say, we're going in this direction. Get on board. We're not going here. We're not going. We're going this way. Commitments define your life, and weak people are controlled by circumstances, and strong people are controlled by commitments. And so I say this, be careful what you commit yourself to, because it will shape the destiny of your life. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about commitment. It says that God is looking for people who want to become different, and who want to 
make a difference. And you can quote me on that. God's looking for people who want to be different, who want to change, who want to grow, who want to become all that he intended for them to be so as to make a difference in the world that they live in. Take a look at 2 Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Will you circle the phrase fully committed? You see, God is looking for people who want to be different in order to make a difference. But the key is commitment. So what does it mean to be fully committed? I mean, is there a difference between casual commitment, half commitment, partial commitment, and full commitment? Sure there is. You see, as Christians, what should you and I be fully committed to? Simply this, the very purpose for which God created us. And this morning, we're gonna take a look at five aspects Five reasons, five purposes that God created you and put you on planet earth. And if you and I miss these five things, if we don't grow in these five things, and first, before you can grow, you gotta assess. Health assessment, go for it. Get ready for 2018. We're going in this direction. But if you and I miss those purposes, folks, we miss the very reason for which God put us on this earth. And he doesn't force those things on us. We have to choose them. We have to choose to do an assessment, then we have to choose to come up with a plan. I'm gonna give you the plan starting February 11th. First assess. That's what commitment is all about. And so we've gotta commit to the very purpose for which God created us for. And there are five aspects of it. So let's take a look at them. First one is simply this, I must commit my life to Christ. This is foundational. Before you and I can do anything else, folks, we've got to get to know God. And God has given us the capacity to know him. And so the very first thing I have to commit to is my life to Christ. This is the most important commitment in your life, bar none. Now in saying that, I am not saying that there aren't other issues. There are. In fact, I put the issues in three categories. One of the issues is that I call everyday life decisions. Do you realize that the average person makes 75 decisions in a day, okay? You know, where they're gonna eat at, you know, should I turn left, turn right, whatever. 75, in, in, a 70, in an average person's life, they will make over two million, I call them everyday little decisions, then there are those life decisions. They've done studies that there are about 11 major life decisions. Things like this. I call it the career issue. What am I going to live on? And you know what? It doesn't take much of getting out of college to discover, you guess what? Mom and dad aren't gonna be around forever. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna have to make some money. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to live on something. Yet that is one of the essential questions of life. What am I going to live on? And most people figure that out. They go out and they get a job. Let me give you another one, okay? And that is, who am I going to live with? Okay, am I gonna get married or am I gonna stay single? And if I get married, who, uh, who am I going to marry? And again, most people figure that one out. They either get married or they stay single. There are nine other kind of life issues around that. I can guarantee you this. You can mess up, let's say for those two, you can mess up 
those two questions. What am I gonna live on and who am I gonna live with? And I'll guarantee you this, it will bring pain into your life. That's why we have a care ministry. But it's not eternal. You see, if I miss out on the most important question of life, which is this, who am I going to live for? That has eternal uh, implications. Heaven and hell are in the balance. And that question is a question of purpose. Who are you going to live for? Folks, we all live for somebody. As Bobby Dylan says, we gotta serve somebody. I kind of sound like him, okay, when I sing. But... We gotta serve somebody, okay? We're all, we're all living for somebody. We're all living for somebody's approval, aren't we? Whose approval are you living for? The world's, your bosses, your spouse, yourself, or for God? And so what does it mean then to be committed, fully committed to Christ? Well, take a look at what Paul says out of Romans chapter 10, verse nine. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, Jesus made it so simple that everyone could understand this. He comes along and says, here's what you need to do if you wanna know that you are heaven bound and you are fully committed to me. First, you must believe that God raised Christ from the dead. This is what we call Easter and then you must confess with your mouth. Notice how he puts the mouth and the heart together. Both of them come together. When you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Will you circle the word Lord? You see, what does it mean? What does that word mean, Lord? It means you make Jesus your boss. You make him your CFO. You make him your COO. You make him your CEO. You make him the director of your life. You make him the manager of your life. Why in the world would you ever want to do something like that? Because he has a purpose and a plan for you. Now understand that with every commitment, there is a cost-benefit ratio to it. And so you have to ask yourself the question, is the benefit worth the cost? So what's the cost? Well, you gotta give up control of your life and you've gotta put Christ in charge. You gotta come to God and you've gotta say, God, I am here to fulfill the purpose for which you created me for. I wanna do what you created me to do and I wanna be who you created me to be. I wanna live to my full redemptive potential. And Jesus is real upfront about that. You wanna be fully committed? You gotta follow me. I'm gonna be the boss of your life. What are the benefits? Well, there are a number of benefits, okay? But let me just give you a few. One is that you're pardoned for all your sins. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Secondly, you're given a power to live on through the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty good deal. I need power. I don't know about you. Uh, thirdly, I have a purpose to live for right here on this side of eternity. And lastly, I have a place in heaven reserved for me when my expiration date comes, okay? This is the first issue that you and I must settle. And I would say this, that most of us here have probably settled that issue. If you have not, I can't encourage you enough to do so today. In the quietness of your heart, just say, Jesus Christ, I'm opening up my heart to you right now. I admit, <laughs> I've wasted a lot of my life, but I know you got a purpose and a plan for me, so I'm committing my life to you for the rest of my life. This is foundational. The second thing 
I commit to is that I must commit to being a member of his church. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. God has given us the privilege, will you circle that word privilege, of being born again so that, so that we are now members of God's own family. Will you circle the word members? You see, God never intended you and I to go through life alone. He never intended for you and I to go through life without support. He always intended for you to be encouraged and to, to, to have encouragement and support and have other people around you. And so what he did is he created a spiritual family. That's why I call ourselves, hey, we're just a spiritual family. And that's how, I'm, I'm a relational guy. I, I want, this is my family, George. What's your family? Well, I got five that get into my bank account often, okay? But uh, then uh, there's others, okay? My spiritual family. And that spiritual family is called the church. And folks, it's a privilege to be a part of the church. We don't think so because we live in America. I mean, there's churches everywhere and we can kind of come and go as we please. But do you realize that in most countries, that's not the case? I went to a country and did a pastor's conference, taught over a thousand pastors. And do you know some of them walked five days to get there? Wow. Think of it like this, this privilege. When you have the fam if you have a family name of a famous person, you get extra privileges, don't you? Ivana Trump. Guess what? Extra privileges. Folks, I can guarantee you this. If my last name was Trump, now again, there's cost, cost benefits, right? But if my last name was Trump, George Trump, I would not be staying at any Motel 6s, okay, when I go to conferences. I'd be staying a whole lot better places, okay? There are privileges for knowing Christ, and one of the first privileges is that you get to be a part of his family. You see, just like an orphan, or just like a child without a family is an orphan on the street, and folks, it's a struggle, is it not? The homeless Homeless kids, it is. So too, a Christian without a spiritual family, without being committed to a spiritual family, is like an orphan on the street. It is not good. The Christian life isn't just a matter of believing. It's also a matter of belonging. Oh, Pastor George, I believe in Jesus Christ. Great, you are halfway there. You need to belong to a spiritual family. And when I talk about belonging, not only do you get support, but here's the deal. In family, it's mutual, isn't it? Mom and dad just don't do everything. Sure, when the kids are young, hey, you do everything for them. But as they grow, they begin to contribute. They, they begin to show their devotion to the family by helping out. There are 54 one another verses in the Bible that you and I can't practice unless we are a member of a church. Let me give you one. Romans 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another. Let me read to you an email I got. A year ago, after a devastating loss, I moved to North Dallas. Disconnected from everything, I was very lonely. I cried for three solid weeks. I finally decided that maybe I should try church. From the moment I stepped inside my first service at LifePoint, I felt I belonged here. To shorten my story, Christ became real to me. I joined our church and I am now serving in a ministry that's very fulfilling to me. I love being a part here. 
I know everybody's pain is different, but we all need God. My pain was almost unbearable without a church family. When I took the membership class, I had to hold back tears of joy when you discussed how LifePoint is a family, and folks, we are. That's why I stick around second base. You want to talk to me? I'm there. I don't hide in a green room. I don't hide in my library. We're a family. You got a problem? You get on my calendar. We'll walk through it together. Just like this person. When I took the membership class, I had to hold back the tears of joy when you discussed how LifePoint is a family. It really is, and I am so grateful for the brothers and sisters here and for a church that I can call home. Folks, God never intended for you and I to walk through life solely dependent on ourselves. He wants to move us from being spectators to participators, from attenders to members, from consumers to contributors. And so the first commitment is to Christ. The second commitment is to the church, and we're uh, to a church family, and you are welcome. If you're not, you're welcomed here. We're gonna have a class January 28th. We're calling it Super Sunday because we're gonna have ministries, and we're gonna have this class. I'm gonna serve you food. We're gonna have a great time for about an hour and a half or so as we just talk about this spiritual family. Sign up for it. The third one is this. I must commit to being a model of the life of Christ. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, God comes along and says, I want you to represent me in the way that you act. I want you to be a model of my life. This is what it means to be called a Christian. Now, understand something. That the word Christian, when it was first used in the first century, was a derogatory term. Did you realize that? It was a derogatory term. Oh, you're one of those Christians. Christians, oh, oh, oh yeah, you're one of those goody two shoes, oh, you're one of those holier than thou's. The word Christian literally means little Christ. Oh, she's a Christian, she doesn't do that. He's a Christian, oh, he thinks he's holier than thou. It was a derogatory term. I wanna ask you this. Has, ever, has anyone ever accused you of being a Christian? Are you so different? Are, are we so much alike the world that people can't tell us apart? God says, I am committed to the one who wants to become different. And I will fully support them. You see, as you and I grow in our faith, he wants us to begin to act like Jesus. He wants us to think the way Jesus thought. He wants us to feel the way Jesus felt about the hurting and the helpless and the hopeless. He wants us to treat people like he treated them. In essence, he wants my beliefs and my behaviors. He wants my attitudes and my actions to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is the goal of spiritual maturity. God wants you and I to grow up and to be like Jesus. Now, how does that happen? I mean, do you and I just take this, I don't know, this Jesus pill and wham oh, we are this super saint that is all of a sudden automatically spiritually mature? No, it doesn't work that way. And that really hurts me, okay? Because I'd like to think just one of my messages will bring you to full spiritual maturity, but it doesn't. 
There is not one CD, there is not one conference, there is not one spiritual experience that puts a quiver in your liver that will help you become spiritually mature. It is a process. Peter says, grow in grace. Growth is a process. And it is a challenging process and it will take you and I the rest of our life. That's why on that track, it isn't just going around once. No, it's going around, going back out and coming back in and doing it all over again. And, and if you take the assessment, what I give to you in February 11th is I'm gonna mark out. Some of you in some areas may be saying, I'm just standing there. I'll give you a plan so that you can start crawling. And if you're crawling, so that you can walk. And if you're walking, so that you can run but you gotta take the assessment. It's interesting on that assessment. I'm just gonna tell you about it because it's designed this way. Some of you want the assessment, but you don't want my input. That's okay. I'm a busy person, okay? So you can take it and there's a little box. Yes, I'd like help. And if you check that box, we'll get you help, okay? To the degree that you want it will be the degree that we will get it. So take the assessment. But a key, though it's a long process and a challenge, one of the keys is reading God's word. Truly, the Bible is the mind of Christ. It has the attitude and the actions of Christ. And the more you get the Bible into your heart and mind, the more you begin to model the life of Christ. Now, how does this happen? Does this happen by just putting a Bible app on your smartphone and just carrying it on the side of your hip so that wherever you go, there's just this spiritual aura around you that just turns you into this super saint. No, it doesn't work that way. And it doesn't work by going out and buying a physical Bible and shoving it under your pillow and sleeping on it every night where it seeps into your brain. You see, how do you and I become spiritually mature. One word, commitment. It is a commitment to God's word. This is what the third spiritual commitment is about. And the more you are committed to, I say, the promises of God that are in God's word and prayer, the more you become a model of Jesus Christ. Take a look at these verses. Take a look at first Proverbs 23, verse 12. Commit, circle that word, yourself to instruction. That's the Bible. Attune your ears to hear words. That's like Sunday mornings out of God's word, of knowledge. Take a look at Hebrews 6, 1. Let us, will you circle the word us, go on and become mature in our understanding as strong Christians ought to be. Will you circle the word mature and draw a line from us to mature? You see, maturity doesn't happen in a vacuum. Folks, it doesn't happen by yourself. It happens in the context of relationships. And the best way for that to happen is what we call to get into a life group. That is a big overarching term for Bible studies, men's and women's Bible studies, for, for uh, community groups. For all, we got all kinds of different groups at, at this church that you will find out on um, January 28th. But you get involved with others in a life group. I mean, how many of us right here believe that all of our answers are found on cable news, the 24-7 cable news? May I see your hands? Oh, how many of us here believe that all of God's answers are in his word? May I see your hands? 
See, I'd say all of us really do. Some of us are just afraid to raise our hands, okay? <laughs> then why is it that we spend more time watching TV and, I don't know, reading People magazine rather than being in God's Word? If all of God's answers for all of our problems are found in God's word, it only makes sense that we would spend more time in it. We're taking on a huge area that I believe culturally we need to take on, and that is hope. Hopelessness is running rampant in our culture. And we as Christians ought to not reflect that. We ought to be just the opposite. We ought to be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within us. And we'll talk about that verse when we get to the last third of the year. But... We ought to be hopeful. And the answer is in God's words. As I have been studying this topic, there are five major thoughts that drives hopelessness, drives hopelessness in people's lives. Do you know what they are? Let me give them to you. I hate myself. I don't matter. I don't fit in. I want to give up. And I feel useless. And there is an antidote for each and every one of those in God's word. And that is how you and I, as we get into God's word, the promises of God, and we pray, the hope level comes up to where we are different to make a difference. One of the marks of spiritual maturity is truly knowing God's word. Take a look at 1 Peter 3, 9. They must be committed to the revealed truths of the Christian faith and must live with a clear conscience. If I'm going to reach my redemptive potential, I must commit to Christ. I must commit to a local church and be a member of it. I, I must commit to being a model of the life of Christ. And what will help us is just doing the survey. The fourth commitment is I must be committed to be a minister of his grace. Not a pastor, but a minister, a servant. This is a very important issue. Because God put you on this earth and he gave you certain talents, abilities, skills to, to use. And he expects you to use them to help other people, to make this world a different place. And when you use your talents, your abilities, your skills, um, those different gifts that you have, that's called ministry. And every Christian is called to be a minister, a non-ministering Christian is a contradiction. Now, God doesn't ask us to do everything, but guess what? He does ask us to do some things. If you want to know what some of those things are, you need to understand your shape. God has shaped you in a unique way, according to Job 8, verse 10, that you have a unique shape, that you have spiritual gifts, a uh, 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 heart or passions, abilities, personality, and experiences in life. Those five things make you you. And God expects you to use those things, not just so that you get rich, but to make a difference in this world. And if you don't do that, you're wasting your life. We want to help. Truly, this assessment fits in with our mission. We join people. And if you want to help there, you just need to check. I want some help here. And we will help you, okay? Take a look at this verse, 1 Peter 4.10. God has given each of you some special abilities to be sure, special abilities, be sure to use them to retire. Be sure to use them to get a big ego. Be sure to use them to make lots of money. Doesn't say that, does it? Comes right out of the reviled substandard version from the pit of hell. 
This one, the true re- uh, version says, be sure to use them to help each other, passing on to others God's many kinds of blessings. You see, truly, this is the attitude that God wants us to have, to serve, to scramble to the bottom, to figure out our place. In fact, Jesus said it like this in Matthew 20, verse 28, your attitude must be like my own, for I, the Messiah, did not come to be served, but to serve. God expects you, if you want to be like Christ, to serve. You see, many of us have been growing for years. Have we not? But we still haven't found our place to make a difference in the church and outside the church. And don't use your job as an excuse. I got a whole series on that one. We've been growing for years and we still don't have a ministry. There's a verse that I came across when I was three, year old, three years old in the Lord, okay? People have been pouring into me, discipling me. And I ran across this verse. By now, you ought to be a teacher. And I thought, you know what? I should be. And so what I started doing is I just took what was given to me exactly as it was, and I just gave it, started giving it to other people until I kind of figured out how I should do it and who I am and all those kinds of things. Truly, for some of us, you ought to be teachers by now. You've been in a small group for years. I'm not asking you to leave your small group. How about starting a new one? I'm getting ready to start a new group with some millennials, about 10 to 12 of them. And folks, my plate is full. But God says, George, give, give, give. Because one day, you're gonna stand before me and you're gonna have to give an account of what you did with your life, with how you used your shape. Did you use it just for yourself and for your select little few people or did you use it to impact and make this world a different place? There's a book that I'm going through. It's a little bit of an older book, but I love this book. Roaring Lambs, a a, a, a Yeah, a gentle plan to change the world. Now, there is one other commitment that God wants you to make. If you're gonna reach your redemptive potential, you've gotta commit to Christ. You've gotta commit to a local church. You've gotta commit to modeling Jesus' life. You've gotta commit to ministering his grace. And the last one is I commit to being a messenger of his love. Truly, this is what changes the world as you and I share our love story that we've had with God with other people. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19 and following. For God was in Christ restoring the world to himself. This is the wonderful message he has given to us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is using us to speak to others. I love what uh, Dane taught last week when he talked about the, the, how God was gonna work through the nation of Israel. Of course, he knew that it wasn't, and so he brought Christ and he birthed the church, and the church just was throughout the world. It wasn't in one locale. It was everywhere, and those churches became embassies. And guess what? We became the ambassadors. Ambassadors are those who represent someone else, and we are to represent Christ. I mean, think about this. For some people, you may be the only Bible that they ever read. Not everyone is gonna have a Christian, so to speak, in their small relational world. You may be the only Christian that they will ever come in contact with. 
And how will they know that why, how will they know that you're different because of Christ if you don't share it? They might think it's Buddha or they may think, hey, it's Weight Watchers, man. You're really doing a great job, okay? You see, what is your love story? Well, we all have a different one, but there are some common components, which basically is this, that God loved us so much that he paid for our sins so that we wouldn't have to pay for it ourselves so that we could be forgiven forever. Basically, that's the love story. And the world is dying to hear that. But most Christians are walking around acting like they have type A flu, afraid that they might contaminate other people, okay? But they're wanting to hear it. The world is dying to hear that God loves them and that he will pardon them for their sin and that he has power for them and a play and a purpose for them and a place to live. There is a person that is, was instrumental in laying the foundation of this church when it was first started almost, I don't know, back in 1989, however many years that was. His name was Bill O'Connell. He came here. And he didn't know the Lord. His wife drug him here. Go figure. As he was walking out the door, his wife said, Bill, give Pastor George your card. And he did. And he worked for Deloitte & Touche. He was a senior, senior partner of Deloitte & Touche. Over the years, Bill gave his life to Christ. And it changed him. He died this past Saturday. Bill and I were really close. We went to Europe together for a couple of weeks. We did life deeply with one another. Those 15, 18 years that he was here before he retired and moved on. But two weeks ago, I got to go down to Georgetown. And he was in bed. When I walked in, hey, Pastor George, good to see you. And he turned to a nurse that was there, Nurse Katie, and says, Nurse Katie, this is my pastor from Dallas. And it was hard for him to say that. He died of a rare blood disease. Came on him like that. And um, she says, he's my second mother. My eyes went like this. You never knew what Bill was going to say. My first mother gave me physical birth. Pastor George gave me spiritual birth. As Bill grew in his walk with the Lord, he came up to me one time, and he's a senior, senior Deloitte and Touche guy. And he's doing conferences, and they have all these big gatherings. He says, George, can I take your messages and share those with my partners? Sure, whatever's mine is yours. Go for it. He started an email ch chain or a prayer chain at Deloitte and Touche across the nation, influencing people for Christ. Wherever Bill went, it was about Christ. And it was culturally relevant and done in a culturally relevant way. I'll never forget a time when he came to me just after he retired. He retired at 58. He says, George, Deloitte and Touche has asked me to come back on board. They want me to settle the Twin Tower accounts. You know that incident that happened at 9-11? It's only three men that were responsible for raising the Freedom Tower that's there now. One of those is Bill O'Connell. Wherever Bill went, 
He shared his faith because the gospel made a difference in his life. It made him a different person to make this place a different place. God is waiting on you and I to give a defense for the hope that is within us. And we're gonna tackle that. And part of that defense is sharing our love story with other people. How committed are you? Are you casually committed? Are you one out of five? Are you two out of five? Are you three out of five? Are you four out of five? Or are you fully committed? Commitment will make you different. And it will make this world a different place. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that you just didn't create us and just plop us here on this earth and let us figure this thing out on our own. But you gave us your word. You gave us the promises of God. You gave us Jesus Christ to help us to understand all that you want us to be and all that you want us to do. And I thank you for that. I thank you that we can have our sins forgiven that we can have a power to live on, that we can have a purpose to live for, that we can have a place in heaven reserved for us where we don't have to sweat sweat it when our expiration date comes up. God, I thank you for those things. Help us, God, individually, to be a church that is fully committed to the very purposes for which you created us and for which you birthed the church. Maybe this morning you've never committed your life to Christ. That's foundational and that's where you start. Will you just say, will you just commit your life to Christ this morning by just saying this, just a simple prayer. God, I admit that I've wasted my life, at least some of it, God. I've made a lot of mistakes as I've done that. But I believe you gave it all to pardon me of my sins give me purpose and a power and a place in seven. And right now, I want to commit my life to you. I want to, I want to live for you and the purposes for which you created me for, for the rest of my life. And if you prayed that prayer, God heard it. Would you let me know? I'd love to be a part of your journey. Just take the communication card and just, just check the appropriate box, put your name, maybe an email address so I can send you some literature. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness towards our life. We look forward, God, to 2018 and all that you're going to do for us. We lift this up to you in your son's name. Amen.